You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Today we're going to be continuing our sermon series through the letters of John, and we'll actually be finishing 1 John this morning. So if you want to turn with me to 1 John 5, we're going to be starting at verse 13, and we're going to the last verse, verse 21. And uh, we read verse 13 last week, but it's kind of a transition verse, so we're going to be repeating it again, in case you're wondering. I'm sure you all were. You're like, what? We read that verse already? Uh, <laughs> um, I need water first. So First John 5, 13 to 21. This is the Apostle John speaking to the church. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. And God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we could be gathered here this morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for our salvation, Lord. We thank you that that we can come into your presence with confidence. Lord God, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, and I pray that, that your Holy Spirit this morning would open our hearts to receive the word that you've given us. May it change us, may it mold us, and may it glorify you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when most of us end a letter... I think we usually say something like, God bless, or sincerely, so-and-so, or, or hope to hear from you soon, or something like that, right? Even, even the Apostle Paul usually ends his letters in the New Testament with a personal greeting, or an encouragement, or even a glorifying benediction that, that reminds his, his readers to set their eyes on, on Jesus as their Savior and Lord as they, as they take the contents of his letters to heart. But John ends this letter somewhat abruptly. Right? He says in verse 21, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's it. That's how he ends his letter. It's kind of odd, right? Well, goodbye and God bless to you, John, right? Like, it's just kind of weird how he, how he ends that. But this has actually led some to speculate that the last part of the letter might actually be missing. Maybe we don't have it, which could possibly be the case. But regardless, I'd like to argue that it's not as random or weird as it seems at first. In fact, this one sentence actually sums up and bookends the whole, 
the, the point of his whole letter quite well, actually. But, but to give us a better idea of what I mean, and also since it is Father's Day today, I'm going to talk about a fathering moment that I had with one of my sons, and hopefully that will help explain what's going on in this passage a little better. So the other day, in the middle of the afternoon, just a couple of weeks ago, I happened to walk past my boys' bedroom, and I saw my six-year-old son, Elliot. Uh, he, was, he was tucked into his bed, and I thought, well, that's kind of weird for, that, for this time of day. So, so I, I looked a little closer, and I noticed that he was crying. His, his face was as red as his hair. Tears were streaming down his eyes, and he was, he was just, you know, sniffling like that. And, 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 of course, he was holding tightly onto his blankie. He has his blue blankie that, that he's had since he was a baby, and he was holding onto his Winnie the Pooh stuffy that he's had since he was a toddler. And, and, and he was just sitting, lying there in his bed crying. And seeing him sad like that, just like, of course, it broke my heart, right? So I sat down beside him on the bed, and, and I asked him, Elliot, what's wrong? Why are you crying, bud? And he just said, I don't know. And so I was like, you just feel sad and you don't know why? And he's like, yeah, I I don't know why. I just feel like crying. And I was like, okay, sorry, bud. And, And to be honest, in that moment, I did not know what to do because there was no problem. I didn't know what the problem was, so I couldn't give him a solution. And for, for, for me, and for probably for many dads out there, that's probably, you know, a hard place to be in, right? So I just decided to crawl under the covers and lie down with him in his bed. I lie down next to him. I put my arm around him. And then after a while of listening to his, his sniffling, a surprising thing happened. He gently set aside his blankie, set aside his poo stuffy. And if you know Elliot at all, like even a little bit, you'll know that he loves toys a lot. He loves toys a lot. And above all, he loves his Winnie the Pooh stuffy. But yet, he set it aside. And then he turned and he put his arm around me. And after a while, his crying stopped. It was just this beautifully simple father-son moment. It's one of those moments that I'll never forget as a father. And to be honest, I never found out why he was so sad. But, but in the end, I think it was just knowing I was there for him, knowing that I cared for him, knowing that I loved him, that helped him calm down and stop crying. And then he farted. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Sorry if that's rude. But at that point, we just both burst out laughing, giggling, right? And, and I took my revenge out at him by tickling him. And, and a couple of minutes later, I gave him a big squeeze hug. And, and we both just went on with our day from there, right? And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm telling this story not to, like, puff myself up or anything or brag about, about anything here because I really didn't do anything, right? But when all was said and done, what actually helped Elliot get out of his sad funk where he could actually be his joyful self again and feel free to be himself again? Was it his blankie and Winnie the Pooh stuffy? Or was it his father being there for him? In the same way, this seems to be John's final and closing point in his letter. What's going, what's, what's going to give them and us, as children of God, confidence and joy in both faith and life? 
Is it going to be through trusting in the world? In the lies and deceptions of the false prophets that John's been talking about? Through finding comfort in idols? Or is it going to be through trusting in the living God? Psalm 40 verse 4 gives us the answer to that question. And I'm going to read two translations because they both say the same thing in slightly different ways. And they both apply. The New Living Translation says, Oh, the joys of those who trust the Lord, who have no confidence in the proud or in those who worship idols. And the ESV says, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. And this is why John ends the letter the way he does. It's a final reminder, a final warning that comes from an endearing heart when he says, little children, I care deeply about you. You're children of God. So keep away from idols. Because there's no confidence or comfort in them. There's no blessing. There's no joy in following the deception of the proud or placing our trust in idols. In fact, we get the opposite from them. Psalm 115, 4 to 8 highlights this perfectly. It says, Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. So those who make and worship idols become like them. We become like what we worship, right? And if we're worshiping idols, we become spiritually and emotionally incapacitated. We become lifeless. The problem with idols, though, is that they usually come with great promises, don't they? They often come with initial satisfaction or comfort or reward. They, they target our desires and our selfishness, our intellect even. And so we often turn to them and we trust in them instead of God in, in, in our attempt to find some joy or security or comfort or knowledge or superiority or, or hope or even just to plain feel something. John Calvin once wrote that our, that our hearts are idol factories. In other words, we're proficient in, in creating, worshiping, and investing in things and ideas other than God. But in the end, the reality is that these things, they can't talk to us. They can't save us. They can't even truly comfort us for, for very long anyway. They can't hear us or know us or walk with us or empathize with us or die on the cross for us like Jesus did. They're fake, they're pretend, they're lifeless, they're man-made. And in the end, as the psalm says, we just become like them. To trust in idols doesn't give us hope or blessing or life. It gives us death. John wants his readers to know life. And so in my opinion, this is also what John's talking about when he says in the passage that there's a sin that leads to death. It can be a confusing part of the passage, but this is what I think he's talking about, that sin that leads to death. He's referring to those false prophets who, who, who tried to bring into the community their, their deceptions and their lies, these, these idols, these false truths that deny Jesus because there's no life in them. 
They lead to death. So it's not just about the fact that idolatry is a sin. It's, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's that following this route, placing our worship or trust in something other than Jesus, is, is harmful and spiritually destructive to us, even if it feels right in the moment, even if it feels good in the moment. Ultimately, ultimately it keeps us from finding or having fellowship with God. Alternatively, and John's point throughout this whole letter has been a call for them to turn from these lies, to resist these lies, to turn from the false prophets who speak against Jesus, to turn from these false idols because our joy, our blessing, our confidence, our life comes only through knowing and dwelling with God through Jesus Christ. But the reality of our situation is that we don't often recognize our idols. And there's often days where, where I start feeling anxious or, or worried um, that something God's called me to do isn't going to happen or, or I start questioning my calling as a pastor or, or uh, that I'm not good enough. Or, and I start thinking like this or I start thinking, well, how, how am I going to pay this, this bill or whatever? And, and then I start to realize that, that, I've, that I've placed my, my, my trust in myself and my own skills or I've placed my trust in, in my bank account or I've, or I've placed my trust in something other than God. And, and when I'm able to realize that and the Holy Spirit reveals that to me, then, then I'm able to turn back to God and trust in him. And then the anxiety washes away, right? But we don't often recognize our idols and, and we need to. We often don't realize that, that we're believing their lies, that, that, we're, that we're believing their lies of comfort and security. And, and the problem with that is that if we don't recognize them, we can't turn from them. So this is a good time for self-examination and a a good way to test if if we're looking to idols rather than God. There's a couple different different ways to test this. And one of them is to ask ourselves when we are feeling hopeless or confused or afraid or, or anxious or something like that, where or who or what do we have a tendency to turn to in those moments? Do we open the word get on our knees in prayer or do we go go shopping or do we drink alcohol or do we look to ourselves or do we chase after riches or do we try to get more instagram likes or or do we try to get more sex or watch more tv where do we turn to when we're feeling hopeless or anxious or worried Another way to test this is to ask ourselves where or with whom do we place our value and our identity and our security and our meaning? What do we invest in? In our things? In our relationships? Our social status and our accomplishments and our, and our knowledge and our career? Where do we find our identity? How do we define ourselves? Or maybe it's that we're trying to find value or satisfaction in something that we wish we had. So we don't feel valued because we don't have that thing. Timothy Keller writes that when we can think to ourselves, if only I had more of blank, fill in the blank, if only I had more of blank, then I'd be happy. He says that blank, whatever you filled in the blank with, that is your idol. So these these are good tests for self-examination. But to be honest, the hardest part isn't humbly admitting it. 
because it's not always easy to admit our idols. But we need to because, again, ultimately our idols are just going to gonna fail us. They'll, they'll let us down. Our pursuit of them, our, our trust in them, our investments and, and sacrifices for them will only be in vain. And if they did bring us any pleasure or security, it's not going to last. Our blankies, they might be comfy, but they're not healing. And they're not for us. But the living God, on the other hand, is. Which is why John reminds us that a relationship with God, which we've been given freely through the grace and work of Jesus Christ, first of all, he writes, it gives us full confidence in eternal life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you may know that you have eternal life. So he's saying this is a relationship and a salvation that goes into eternity. One that will never let us down. In other words, to trust in God is to have certain hope. It's to have eternal security. And secondly, John writes, our relationship with God is also personal. We can talk to God. Even more than that, it gives us confidence in prayer. Verses 14 to 15, he says, And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We can have confidence in prayer. And there's a couple of things, a couple of points here that he says that I want to just flesh out really quickly. And the first one is that he's saying that God hears us. Idols can't hear us. Idols can't respond to us, but God does. And that word hearing, it means more than just audible hearing. It means he understands us. It means he gets us. He acknowledges us. And that leads me to to the second point I want to flesh out here, which is that John writes that our confidence in prayer comes in asking God according to his will. And that's all, all fine and good. Saying, saying to pray according to his will is pretty much the same as, as saying we're to put our trust in God. But the hardest part is, what is his will? How do we know what his will is? Right? And I, we can't always know his exact plan in all things. And, and a lot of us sometimes are, are questioning, like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I don't know where to go from here, right? So we don't always know his, like, exact will for us but what we can know what we can do is we can grow in the knowledge of who god is and who he's created us to be and and we can do that through his word he's revealed who he is through his word he's revealed what he's called us to do through his word and the truth is the more that we that we grow in the knowledge of who god is the more robust the more on point the more faith-filled our prayers will be for example the, the more you get to know me if you spend some time with me get to know me. I'm a pretty nice guy, so if you want to, that would be cool. <laughs> but the more you get to know me, the less likely you'll be to ask me to eat a crab dinner with you because I don't like crab. That's not who I am, okay? Don't ask me to eat it. But you might ask me to bake you pancakes. I can do that proficiently, and, I, and it would be my goodwill and pleasure to do that for you. Um, Speaking of which, I think we're going to have a pancake breakfast in the summer, so look forward to that. But um, 
in the same way, but way better, the more we get to know God through his word and through, through prayer, the more, we, and the more we understand his nature, his character, his desires, and his plan, then the more our prayers will align with his will. And therefore, the more confident we'll be in prayer. But even more than that, and as the psalm we read says, we become like what we worship, right? We become like what we worship, or as Dr. Greg Beale writes, you resemble what you revere, either for ruin, right, with idols, or restoration with Jesus. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So the plan all along was for those who believe in Jesus to be conformed into his likeness, to be like him. As we worship Jesus and put our trust in Jesus, we'll become like him to the process of sanctification. Not only in our actions, as we've been talking about through 1 John, right? If God's love in us, we'll love others, that kind of stuff. But also in our heart and in our mind as well. We'll long for what he longs for. We'll desire what he desires. And our prayers will reflect that. Philippians 2.13 says it like this, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work. God's will will be in us as we're conformed to his image. So when John says that God hears us when we pray according to his will, he's only assuming that those who trust in God are already being conformed into his image. That to pray according to his will is what we'll desire to do, what we'll naturally do as spirit-filled believers. And as we do then, we can do it with confidence, knowing that God will answer them. And he gives us an example. He writes, pray for one another. Pray for one another. Especially, he says, those believers among them who who are struggling in sin. Because when we pray for them and when we intercede on their behalf, God will restore them back into relationship, back into life with him. And we can pray that with confidence because this is God's will through Christ Jesus. So to recap so far, relationships with idols are dead. But a relationship with God brings eternal life, gives us confidence in prayer, knowing that he's a God who hears us, he guides us, and he answers us according to his good will and purpose. But there's more. John writes that to have a relationship with God also means we've been set free from the power of sin over our lives. Verse 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we did a whole sermon on that a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into detail, but we serve a living God who protects us, who sustains us, who shelters us from the enemy and from the temptation of sin. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. As John writes in verse 19, We know that we are from God. Even though the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We're sojourners in this land. But we're not alone. We're from God. Our security, our strength, our provision, our protection comes from the Lord. And there's more still. To know God, John says, is to be given understanding, is to be given the knowledge of truth. I believe it's Psalm 34 that says, In your light we see light. 
the more we know God, the more we look to him, the more knowledge that we get from him. Verse 20 says, and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding. So that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And this is the underlining thing of the whole letter. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. To know him is to know who is true. Therefore, he's the only one worthy of our worship. He's the only one worthy of our trust. So in conclusion, John writes, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because they're nothing, they're worthless, they're, they're hopeless, they lead to death. But to know Jesus is to know God. To know Jesus is to know the word from the beginning. Our eternal life, our salvation, our strength, our faith, our confidence in prayer, our security and protection, the knowledge and the truth. To know Jesus is to know joy unending. So trust in him this morning. Look to him. Yesterday, my kids gave me some Father's Day cards. As I said, we celebrated Father's Day yesterday. So they gave me the cards, which was great, and it was really cute and everything. And I want to show you this one specifically because it says to the most incredible dad ever. I just wanted to point that out. He's the only one in his class that had this specific card. I'm just kidding. That's not why I want to show you this card. But he had some fill-in-the-blanks here. And we were talking about fill-in-the-blanks earlier with uh, Timothy Keller, right? Um, The first one says, I'm so happy when my dad gets me toys. (laughs) See, I told you, he loves toys. He loves toys. This is Elliot's card. He loves toys. There's one here that also says, my dad is so strong he could lift a house. So there's that. I just wanted to read that for no reason at all. But in the last, the last line, I thought, I thought this whole card was really cute. I was reading through it. I was oh, it's cute, you know. Um, he has this cute idea of how strong I am, all that kind of stuff. Oh, he says if daddy were an animal, he'd be a fish. Because... <laughs> That's not the joke. <laughs> because he is bald. That's what, <laughs> That's what he says, so. Anyways, it starts out, I'm so happy when my dad gets me toys. And then the last one says, I love my dad even more than toys. And that melted my heart. That melted my heart. For a kid who loves toys more than any kid I know, That's saying a lot. But do we love the Lord like that? Do we love the Lord like that? Do we love him even more than all of our toys? Do we love him even more than all the blessings that he gives us? Do we love him above all other idols? Because when we get to that place, 
It's when we get to that place through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's when our joy will be complete. That's John's message to that church, and that's the message for us today. Little children, turn from idols and place your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for John's letter, Lord, that we have the opportunity to read through that and to, and to learn from it and to discover more about ourselves in it and, to, and to, to realize how much we need you, how much we need your grace. Because we're prone to wander. We're prone to, to create and worship idols. Prone to run after things that aren't of you, Lord. But I thank you that you never stop pursuing us, Lord. That you never give up on us. That you're always there for us. That you sent Jesus to make a way for us. And so, Lord, as we live this life for you, I pray that for, for new mercies every morning, Lord. I pray for your grace. I pray for the strength of your Holy Spirit to continually draw us away from the world and continually point us unto you, Lord. Because we know, and I know personally, Lord, that it's in you and you alone that I find my security and my joy. Lord, I thank you that, that you love us so much that you want to share that joy with us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.